we have to compensate with the thickness of the inlay. So that when we see fancy inlays of 0.3, 0.5 thickness of ceramic on Instagram, it can work if it's bonded on enamel. So if it's an erosion case bonded on enamel, which is very stiff, it's okay. We don't need two millimeters, but most of the time we just are on dentin. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. I know I've covered the theme of onlays before. It's not new for us. But do you remember the first time you saw one of those onlays? You know, the lithium disilica onlays, which are like bonded on essentially what looks like a, a quite a flat tooth. And the first time I saw it, I was like, no way. This is not going to stick. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I'm going to stick to my conventional crown preparations. But you know what? Seeing these more and more now is great. And in my hands, they, they do work. And it needs a proper discipline and protocol, which we're going to discuss today with someone who's absolutely awesome. It's David Jadole. And it was David Jadole around about eight years ago. I attended one of his dental tubules lectures live in London. And I just couldn't believe it. That's the first time I thought, whoa, this is crazy. This is insane. How could this ceramic stick to the tooth? It just didn't make sense to me, right? But what I learned from him that day has stuck with me for, for such a long time, forever as part of my clinical protocols. And that is the following. A, you just need a clean substrate. And B, you need to have enamel. If you've got enamel circumferentially, these onlays can be extremely successful. And to take that a few steps further, I've got David on today to share some steps, just generally in just composite bonding and Emacs bonding and the whole principles of adhesive bonding in general. And you'll leave with some real gems that you can improve your bonding protocols on Monday morning. We also discuss something that's very topical and that's deep margin elevation. So for those of you that don't know, we're gonna cover it in the episode, but deep margin elevation essentially is when you have a tooth and you want to uh, give it an adhesive adhesive onlay, therefore you want enamel everywhere. But maybe in one area, maybe at the depth of the mesial area, there is, um, it's, it's quite deep and it's quite subgingival. The problem with it being subgingival is that when you come to fit the onlay, it's gonna be difficult to isolate that with rubber dam. So the way that we can turn something that's subgingival into super gingival is by adding some composite in that very, very deep area measly, which as you know, has many challenges. But this whole concept of deep margin elevation, i.e. you are lifting that deep margin and you're making it super gingival. Uh, David Jodel will do a much better job, I promise you, of explaining it than I just did. But before we join David and this absolutely brilliant episode, I hope you like the title, I Can't Believe This Sticks, Extreme Bonding Exposed, because honestly, the first time I saw this, I was so amazed. And even nowadays, when I'm placing these onlays and I see them uh, year after year after year. And I sometimes think to myself, is, is this really possible? How is this working, right? But of course, it's the science of bonding, which David Jadole covers beautifully. Before we join David, I'm gonna give you my protrusive dental pearl for today. Uh, it was inspired by a recent patient encounter I had whereby she felt as though that her lateral incisors were too short and she requested for them to be lengthened. But in her sort of envelope of function, I knew that this would just lead to chipping. There was just a real lack of space and it wouldn't be favorable. So therefore, we delve deeper into the problem and it wasn't that the lateral were too small, it was that her centrals, which were bonded, 
with edge bonding were too long. So before I took a soft flex disc to, this, um, to these centrals to make them shorter, how can we show patients what shorter teeth might look like before we actually start um, hacking them down? Well, this trick I learned many years ago is to use a black Sharpie marker. For once, yes, I'm not using it on splints, I'm using it on teeth. So you just color in the part of the edge, maybe half a millimeter to a millimeter that you're going to be removing, and then you take a photograph and you show the patient the mirror, and against the dark backdrop of the oral cavity, it almost um, gives the patient an understanding or an idea of what they might look like with shorter incisors. So in this case, we used uh, a black Sharpie marker to show this patient, okay, you know what? I think I wanna remove half a millimeter of composite here, and then this might just improve the harmony between your laterals and your centrals, and that's what we did, and she was happy. So I didn't have to bond her laterals, which was gonna be unpredictable without having orthodontics or increasing the vertical dimension. So this is a cool little trick when you want to communicate to your patients what shorter teeth might look like. Patrice Rati, I'm not gonna keep you any longer. Let's join David Jadole on I Can't Believe This Dick's Extreme Bonding Exposed. David Jadole, it is fantastic uh, and an absolute honor to have you on this podcast. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm very good and thank you for having me. It's, it, it's, I have to thank you, really. Not, not at all. I, I think you're going to give so much value to those listening. Um, to, I mean, a little bit of background about how I got to learn about you several years ago. Maybe it was eight, nine years ago. Maybe it was your first encounter with dental tubules. You came and you absolutely blew my mind with a presentation showing these onlays, which I could not believe. I just couldn't believe at the time that was sticking. So, so that's why I named this episode, I Can't Believe This Sticks. Because even recently, I had a guest recently, uh, Nick Sethi, you might know him. Uh, he talked about the full protocol of ceramic onlays, and we, we, we had a good discussion about that. And then um, he convinced me, even though you taught me many years ago, he finally also encouraged me. So did Jason Smith, and all these great clinicians convinced me to start using heated composite instead of panavia. So I did this recently. I posted a case on Instagram, uh, and still people were asking questions like, eh, I can't believe this sticks. There is not enough uh, resistance uh, retention form on these. So even today, 2021, compared to eight years ago, people still have this objection. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How can this stick? How does it work? We'll talk a little bit about the science of the bonding uh, and just the, what we can learn from you. But before I babble on too much, I want to do an introduction for you. So you have been so influential in my sort of career in terms of appreciating how powerful bonding could be. And you really opened my eyes many years ago. But tell us about yourself, about the bioemulation uh, group, uh, and about your definition of biomimetic density. Well, actually, um, the funny thing is that my my uh, first uh, dental education was a very traditional one. You know, I was belonging to a prosto department, so I've been educated uh, drilling for crowns and bridges and a very conventional dentistry. And I, I, I'm still thinking it could be, for some cases, a very good dentistry and very good indication. So I don't think that we have any war between biomimetic dentistry and conventional dentistry. It all can work together depending on the patient and conditions. But the fact is that uh, something like uh, yeah, 15, 17 years ago, I had for research uh, purpose to uh, in, get more interest with the composite and stuff and did some courses, especially with Didier Dici in Switzerland, in Geneva. And it was really like a revelation that we can just do something else. And at the same time, we've got, you know, patients that are getting older and older. 
And uh, we know that our treatment will not last forever. So if the, if the patient will die maybe and 100 years old, we still have to find solution when the patient will come back at the office 80 years old with a, a, a crown that has failed. So this is why I think biomimetic dentistry is just the best way to buy some time for the patient. Meaning this is not a better dentistry. This is a very nice dentistry, but this is less invasive. So it just we just have all the cards to play for the future. Maybe crowns, maybe implants. The, the problem is that if we jump right away for implants to a 40-year-old patient, it's a disaster because it still will live for 50 years and we've got nothing left to propose to that patient. So I think this was um, uh, the, the philosophy I was really seduced by. And then I met some guys, especially from the uh, bioemulation group. And uh, those guys are very, very interesting. First, they are brilliant, amazing dentists. Well, in, in England, you know, Jason Smithson, for instance, that is a very, very brilliant guy, very pragmatic guy, also very funny guy. So full of knowledge. And uh, this is the, the first quality of that group. This is just a, a good dentist. And uh, at the same time, they are dreamers because uh, they they always trying to improve the thing and, and to find the best way to do the things. But on the other hand, most of them are just private dentists, very normal dentists. So they have to earn money. They have to live in the real life with a real patient. If you put all this together, this is a very nice combination, you know, of friendship, stimulation with a nice spirit and a nice proposal that we can do to our patients. Let's drill a little bit less your tooth. Let's try it. And you know what? If it's not working, we can still do something else, which actually you cannot do with a crown. Once the tooth is drilled off, well, it's, it's done. It's nothing else. If the biomimetic solution fails, no problem. We can still move to something else. And the thing is that it doesn't fail that much. So even better. You, you definitely infected me with that way of thinking all those years ago. Uh, and recently I had the honor and privilege of reviewing one of your videos that you submitted to um, a series you, you submitted to Dental and Tubules. And it was an absolute pleasure to see all your steps. And you talk about veneers and, and how, um, you know, the detail you're going into and bonding these veneers in the rubber dam and how much uh, that can improve your results in certain ways and how you have to get around the common challenges of doing that. So that was mind blowing as well. So uh, what I wanted to do was take some lessons from that and share it with the Petrucerati. So the people who listen to this podcast are called the Petrucerati uh, and I definitely wanted the, them to know about you. If they don't already, they need to learn about because um, I think I I've told you before we started recording, you know, guys, if you haven't heard uh, David Jadole's stuff, he's such a wonderful educator. Uh, his style of educating really appeals to me and when I'm educating, I try to model myself like David. Uh, so I, I just want to put that in there that I, I love it. I keep, keep doing what you're doing because you're really helping people understand this stuff. So I guess the first we can dive right in if that's okay David is the first question is how can it stick how does it work okay but I don't want you to just answer about the science I want you to teach me in a different way can you tell me about some failures that maybe you had early on in using biomimetic dentistry and then what we can learn from that because if some dentists young dentists are starting to use maybe they're trained more traditional way and now they start to use uh, and the first venture into extreme bonding or biomimetic dentistry uh, and what common mistakes they might make and maybe some things, mistakes that you have made in the past. Well, I, I, I think the most common mistake is uh, when you belong to one type, one type of education, like, uh, yeah, I don't know, you are designing an inlay with some kind of geometrical retention form. 
and 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 then you would like to drill a little bit less to oh why not bonding my inlays i was just cementing my gold inlays now i want to do a composite inlay ceramic inlays and i would like to bond them and maybe i don't need uh, that kind of geometry uh, the, the problem could be to abandon and to quit brutally all the principle that we've learned from the past, meaning occlusion still exists. Uh, biomechanic of the tooth still exists. So <laughs> it's like we cannot just trust the bonding system and the composite, and the composite is like something magical and it will resolve all the problems. So I could just... I don't know. Don't drill anything. It's uh, something like flat, no geometry, no retention, maybe no space because I don't want to drill. So I have a very thin uh, thickness of ceramic or material. And then by magic, the bonding will just save my life. It doesn't happen. So it means that we just have to do everything that we were doing before with all the precaution, with all the knowledge, with all the study of the patient and especially the functional behavior of that patient. But then it's true that respecting kind of certain criterias like uh, do I have 1.5 millimeters of thickness for my material? Uh, can I work in a very clean conditions? Because we know that those hydrophobic products, they don't behave good if we have uh, moisture, ambient moisture or direct contamination. If the answer is yes to simple questions and criteria like those, well, I can just maybe switch to something that is bonded and then it can save one cusp, maybe one millimeter of preparation, maybe one kind of drilling that is more invasive. But it's not like, okay, I, I, I will change my mind now and do something completely differently because it's still a patient. It's still the same function. There are still teeth and it's the same, you know? So I, I think this is the most common mistake and say, it, this is bonding, this is magic. It, it's, it's nothing magic in bonding. So as to follow the still, not to forget the fact that the material still needs a desired thickness to respect the occlusion, as you say. Uh, and just because we can bond so well, you don't just purposely make your preps flat. You still build some resistance form into it. So uh, what advice can you give to someone who's starting out with um, onlays posteriorly, maybe out of ceramic, maybe lithium disilicate, lissy, whatever? How can you uh, impart some natural resistance form without drilling too much and then making it look like a traditional prep. Any sort of tangible advice you can give on that? Uh, I would say two simple things. M make sure that you have at least 1.5 millimeter because most of th uh, thickness, because most of the restoration at the posterior level, we have existing cavities. We have amalgams, we have stuff like that. So it means that 90% of the cavity is represented uh, by dentin. Dentin is something soft. It's, it's kind of trampoline, meaning that for this kind of lack of stiffness of the support of the dentin, of the dental tissue, we have to compensate with the thickness of the inlay. So that when we see fancy inlays of 0 0.3, 0 0.5 thickness of ceramic on Instagram, it can work if it's bonded on enamel. So if it's an erosion case bonded on enamel, which is very stiff, 
it's okay. We don't need two millimeters. But most of the time, we just are on dentin. Dentin is soft. So meaning 1.5 at least, you can uh, easily achieve that using like penetration control technique or, or something like that. Uh, using specific burrs or a burr, you know exactly the working part is two millimeters. So I put my burr entirely in the cavity so that I can make sure that I have those 1.5 to 2 millimeters. This is the first uh, thing I would say. Make sure that you have definitely some thickness for the common cases, for the daily cases. And the second thing to make, make sure it will uh, definitely bond, I don't think there is a proper geometry or, or way or let's say a chamfer is better than a, a bevel or we don't really know. The people, they do really different things. It looks like everything is working. But at the end, it's the way we will bond them. So it means if those substrates, composite, ceramic, dentin, are clean and rough, you can put whatever you want, any kind of composite, it will be good. So it means that the material has to be thick. And if it's bonded properly, it will be resistant and it will not fail because one of the most common way to, to see that the bonding was not good is a fracture of the material because actually it doesn't debond. It almost never debond. So the kind of failure is that, oh, doc, I, I just lost my inlay. No, it doesn't happen. It's a cohesive failure, you mean, like a material cohesive failure. Exactly. This is a material failure that we have, like a fissure fracture of the material. The translation of that isn't or I didn't do the right choice with the material is my inlay was maybe too thin for the kind of substrate I had in the cavity, dentin, or it was badly bonded. Bad bonding, bad resistance of the material. So this is like the demonstration that my bonding was not good and then the material did fracture. A proof, uh, a very easy proof of that, we've used for years feldspatic ceramic. Can you imagine? Feldspatic ceramic, it's so brittle, it's so fragile. You are looking at feldspatic ceramic, it's breaking already. So it's no resistance at all. But if you bond it, it's unbreakable. So it's not really about the resistance of the material. Of course, it helps. Desilicate is much more resistant, so it will forgive Many mistakes, very good, but we don't really need the more, more and more and more resistance. We need to have a minimum of thickness and to make sure that we are bonding okay in a very efficient way. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We worked so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. And that's it. Protrusive is Jazz Galati interfering with this very important message. Splint course is open for enrollment again. This is the course that I released earlier this year. We just had phenomenal feedback. I've been just absolutely blown away by the feedback from all over the world. This is my course to teach you how to prescribe 
diagnose and deliver splints that will help your patients with headaches, myofascial pain, for patients to stop breaking your restorations and for patients to, to help them to get their muscles relaxed prior to complex restorative work. So if TMD confuses you, if doing the whole muscle examination and, and deciding which splint to use when and how, then this course covers it all. From the theory to clinical videos, uh, but don't just hear it from me, don't just take my word for it. Here are some of my students for the next couple of minutes just talking about their experiences with the online course and then we'll join David Jadola again who's just already blowing our mind with bonding. Hey, this is Erica from Team Protrusive. This is one of our delegates, Danny Watson, had to say about the splint course. I I absolutely loved it because it's it's modular. It's broken down into little segments that are not too long, uh, really easily digestible. So you can stop and start whenever you like and you don't feel trapped into learning all in one go. And I don't think people learn very well that way anyway. So some people, some people who do like doing that can sit there and just beast it over a couple of days. But it allowed me as a new dad and busy, busy guy working and stuff just to do it gradually over the course of sort of five weeks. So, yeah, it's really good being modular and, and Jazz explains it very, very well. So if you want to start implementing splints and occlusal appliances into your practice to help your patients with pain and help them to stop breaking your restorations, then come and join us on Splint Course and I'll see you in our secret Facebook group where we can support you and go for monthly live coaching. Brilliant. Well, that leads very nicely. Just a side question, sidetrack you is, uh, which do you uh, believe in more? Do you like to, is it case dependent or do you always like to, once you remove your amalgam, once you do your cusp reduction, do you like to build up a core and then prep back so you have an even thickness of the material everywhere? Like some camp they believe this or do you not mind that in one area your uh, lithium disilicate will be three millimeters and another area might be 1.5 millimeters by not building up a core uh, which do you do and why uh, this is an excellent question a crucial question because much more that the intrinsic resistance of the material or its thickness if the uniform thickness that is that will create the resistance of the material mostly. We have many papers on that. So it means that by definition, in a cavity, you don't have a uniform thickness because for some part you have five millimeters, on the other part you've got one millimeter. So it means that sometimes we have to drill if, if, if the cavity is only one millimeter deep. Well, this is not enough. So we might drill a little bit and compensate on the other side with a core building, with some composite doing the immediate dent in sealing, just to try to make it a little bit more uniform. So we don't have to dream. Uh, it's impossible to do like something that is two to three millimeters, super, super uniform. It doesn't mean that we have to put three millimeters of composite at the margin because it will ruin completely the emergence profile. And we will discuss that point a little bit later. So it's not a good idea either. What we just have to do is to try sealing the dentin to compensate a little bit the thickness, to reduce the huge difference of thickness, and to also raise completely angles. Because uh, this is what, make, what will make the material fragile. Uh, difference of thickness, not uniform, and also variation of angulation. Think about a vanille with the occlusal part and the buccal part. If you got something quite thick at the occlusal part and super thin on the buccal part with a very nice 90 degrees angle between the, the, those two parts, it will break just in between. 
it's just like automatic. So brutal change of angulation and brutal change of thickness is not good for the material. If we can compensate this a little bit with the, the form, the morphology of the prep, and with refilling the cavity with some composite, doing the immediate dentin sealing, perfect. Amazing. That's a very comprehensive and direct answer. I love that. Micro steps. So dentistry is all about the nitty gritty detail, the micro steps. So if you wanted to give the dentist the message in the most important of micro steps that, that, that will get you the best bond. So like the Pareto principle, right? Like 20% uh, of, of your efforts give you 80% of the results. So what do you think is the 20% of the, of the bonding that will give you, or, or the steps in bonding that will give you the 80% results, even if you mess up the other uh, steps? Very simple. Uh, if you don't remember anything of your bonding protocol, just remember that it has to be clean and rough clean and rough, any substrate, anything you are facing, could it be ceramic, metal, composite, dentin, enamel, whatever you want, any kind of substrate, if it's clean, meaning no organic chemical species on the surface and rough, meaning micro uh, rugosities, this is just perfect. The, so there are many ways and different ways, depending on the material that we have or the substrate that we have to get this clean and rough. But if it's clean and rough, you just put composite in between those two substrates, it will bond. So usually we are sandblasting, depending on the material, it can be a different kind of sandblasting, but sandblasting and etching, acid etching. We have different kind of acids depending on the material too, different kind of uh, um, uh, acid uh, period. Uh, it could be 20 seconds, one minute, one minute and a half, but basically it's always the same. So I think this is the 20% that represent the 80% of, of the result, for sure. And it's also very good news because it means, because always the question of the dentist is that, oh, maybe I don't have the good composite. Maybe, maybe I have to buy a new one, you know, a new box with something new or just, uh, I don't know, any company came in my office yesterday with a brand new one and showing great numbers of adhesion. Well, uh, one of my mentors always said, you know what, you just have to calm down a little bit because even the worst adhesive system is enough. It's okay and nobody will die. So I think <laughs> I can work with the, with the products I like because I like the viscosity, because I like the color, the opacity. Or I like it. It will be okay if it's clean and rough. If it's not clean and rough, you can just purchase the best of the best material of the market. The success is not guaranteed. Guys, can you see why I like David's education style so much? He's so direct and uh, I just love the way he says things. This is amazing. I love that answer. Fantastic. So clean and rough, guys. Keep it clean and rough. The next question I want to ask you, because we're doing really well here, is something that no matter, you know, I had Jason Smith on the podcast. And we talked a little bit about DME, uh, deep margin elevation. We had Nick yeah. Sutty on the podcast. Yet still, the number one question I get from the producerati is always surrounding elements of deep marginal elevation. So for those who, who don't know, I will let you explain because you'll do a much better job than I will about what is deep margin elevation. So if you don't mind just describing to the dentist in, in, in the way that only David Jadoli can, how do you describe to dentists what is this deep margin elevation? Well, deep margin elevation is a, is, is a very, very simple idea. You have a deep decay, a decay that is extending beyond the gum level. So we are subchangeable. 
um, we know that it's very difficult to clean it, uh, to, to get an access, to do the impression, to do the provisional, to eliminate the excess. So we have two solutions. Conventional solution, I will do a crown lengthening. I will cut something, cut some gun, cut some bone, just get an access and facilitate my life. So this is a very good technique. The only problem is that most, for the if we are talking about posterior teeth, for instance, the deep caries are proximal. If I cut proximal some uh, gum and some bone, I will lose the papilla forever. So whatever the emergence profile I will have, the patient will have food stuck in, 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 the, in this area and it will never be as it was before. So in that uh, sense, we thought, oh, this is not me inventing the deep margin elevation. The Swiss guys like Didier Dici, Pascal Manier, they thought like 25 years ago, let's have... Let's do something else. So if the problem is the deepness of that margin, so, so cervical, so, so close to the bone level, could we maybe raise up the margin with some material? This is the margin elevation to change the level. Uh, um, something that is like a equigingival level, something like that. And with some kind of material, when the day we are prepping the tooth, we can, can we do that? And then it will facilitate the impression, the provisional, the fitting, the elimination of the excess when we will cement the inlay next week. It makes the isolation so much easier as well. Exactly. The, the, the first isolation is really a pain in the ass and the second one is easy peasy. So it's, this was the idea. And, and, and then they, they, they started to do that. So I remember very well, uh, when I came in Switzerland, it was 2005, I didn't know anything about margin elevation, didn't even know the name of that. And during one course with DDA, Dici, he was teaching about that. And I, and I say, wow, you know, it's, it, it's something strange for me, this double margin, what, what, what is that? Is it, you know what, the problem is not the double margin. Because the, double, the problem is, do you trust bonding on dentin on a proximal area yes or no if you don't trust do a crown do a gold inlay cemented with phosphate if you trust can you tell me the difference between a composite looting cement here two millimeters subgengival and a direct composite here two millimeters subgengival this is composite bonding in the proximal box so if you believe that this is possible why shouldn't you do margin elevation? And I say, oh yeah, this is this is true. And then I started to practice this this technique. The problem is that when Didier is doing that, this is very easy. It <laughs> it looks like yeah, it's okay, but it's a genius, you know. But not everybody is Didier Dici. So in my hands, it it turned out to be a different kind of, of, of outcomes. And, and, and so this is not magic either, but this is how it works. This is what is a margin elevation. The idea is avoid surgery, change the level of the margin, adding by adding some material. Brilliant. You've explained that fantastically. Now, in my own experiences of DME, deep margin elevation, I do believe in dentine bonding. So I'm happy to do DME. It makes my isolation so much easier as well as all the benefits you said. So I believe in it. However, 
my one concern and my one element of case selection when I emailed you is that if some, I mean, I know we shouldn't be doing anything indirect in someone who has poor oral hygiene. So I don't mean poor oral hygiene, but someone who's just never 100% at getting the plaque at the gingival margin. They're doing okay. They don't have periodontal disease. They're almost resistant to perio, but they're just not fantastic uh, at, you know, over the years of getting their gingival information low enough. And this is the real world. We all have patients like this. Yes. In that patient, I am less likely to, to case select for uh, DME and go for onlay. And I'll probably just do the traditional method. You know, nowadays, I might do a, a, something that's trendy, a vertiprep or something like that. I don't want to get into that too much. But what do you think? Is, is, is my case, am I right to be um, case selecting these group of patients who are not amazing at the, the gingival inflammation and, uh, and their general sort of oral hygiene? Or should I be a bit more brave and do it on those patients as well? I would say yes and no. Uh, it's uh, it's a very very uh, smart approach, uh, and I did this mistake myself, uh, not being that smart. Uh, when I when I switched to margin elevation and to bond in dentistry, I, I did it because this is kind of my character. You know, it's like I, I'm a black or white guy. So it, it's like, okay, I, I quit with the crowns, and I will do 100% <laughs> of adhesive dentistry for everybody. Because everybody is deserving, blah, blah, blah. And this was obviously completely stupid. And, and for some patients with poor oral hygiene, or maybe they have a very good hygiene at 60 years old. What is happening at 80 years old? Not anymore. So the, the patient can change, the bacteria can change, the tissue can change, the health can change, the patient resists, and one day he doesn't resist. So it means that we had uh, numbers of failures about that. Not really with the technique itself, but with the indication, bad indication for bad patients. So I think you're right. If you, there are two levels of question. The first one is what about the patient? What is this patient looking like? If it's, let's say, a good candidate for bonding dentistry, because I know that is coming regularly to the recall with the hygienist, with the, the, the that recall program and is really performant with the oral hygiene, is motivated. So why not doing adhesive dentistry? If, this is the second point, I am just able, in that case, as a dentist, today, Monday morning, to do a proper adhesive technique. And, th and this is, and, and I have to answer, yes, this is a good patient. And yes, I am a good dentist today for that patient, for that tooth. So this is not like a general answer. Some kind of patient they don't deserve. I don't know, above 70 years old, no margin elevation. No, you can have very good elderly patient, no problem, and very bad young patient. And it's not like it's for you, the super good dentist or the super bad dentist, because the same dentist, the same David can be on Monday, a very good one, and on Tuesday, the worst dentist on the planet. So it's like I am able to do properly my work. This is a good indication, a good tooth for that. And the patient is able to just clean it properly. If it's a yes, yes, it's okay, I go for it. If it's a no, yes, yes, no, I don't go for it. And I move for some conventional technique, as you mentioned, vertical preparation, crowns, perfect. Brilliant, and uh, I think I'm hoping that question and the answer you gave will, will, will start getting dentists to think a little bit more about case selection and not just always just seeing, um, uh, you know, deep caries dentine and always automatically going towards deep margin elevation. Just take a step back, look at the patient as a whole, just like all the things you said. So uh, that was a, a very, uh, uh, you know, very great answer. 
Twitter. I appreciate that. The next thing I want to talk about is the now, the, just to find, to wrap up the episode, the nitty gritty details of how to uh, successfully carry out deep margin elevation because anything subgingival is more difficult. We know that. Uh, and a lot of dentists message me saying, you know what? I tried it. It was a disaster. It was a mess. I'm never going to do it again. So one thing that I have found, David, and we haven't rehearsed, we haven't talked about this, is uh, I like to use a thermocut burr, which is diamondless. I like to just get rid of the papilla. So I'll do papillectomy. Uh, that will allow me to get my rubber dam down and then be able to get a, a more, more predictable seal with my matrix band. Is there a, a way I could do it um, without having to destroy the papilla? Uh, are there any different ways that you can, any tips that you can give us for a dentist who are doing deep margin elevation? Uh, and if you don't mind, I just want to ask one more on that and I'm happy to repeat these questions is, which is the best composite in terms of viscosity to use in these scenarios, is one of those uh, like genial flow good enough in that region or is it too flowable? So first of all, about uh, the, the protocol, um, before coming into uh, some details or, or tricks, uh, I just uh, would like to mention maybe what is what are the goals we should reach at the end for a good margin elevation. Because I told you, if today I'm able to do that, I'm the good dentist, what is a good dentist in that case? Well, I think that the good dentist is the dentist able to isolate properly. So it's something that can be really hard because it's really down, down, down uh, the, the, the gum level. So isolating good, meaning I do my isolation and during the procedure, I can see that is not sealed I will not do margin elevation using a composite or stuff like that because I know it will be a failure by definition. Then I am able to place the matrix yes or no. This is also very difficult to get the matrix down to the margin and sealed at that level. This is also a problem because the, the, the thing is that for most of those cases, we are not able to use wedges because wedges more or less, they go always horizontal maybe a little bit curved like that but it's horizontal and the decay is never horizontal is always concave so most of the time i need something to push my matrix and to seal my matrix towards the teeth how can i do that and this is why i don't personally cut the papilla because the papilla can save my life the papilla can push on the other side of the matrix, of course, the papilla is complicating my life when I want to push my matrix in. But then once the matrix is in, the papilla can help. The papilla is my wedge and I can reinforce maybe the papilla effect with some Teflon tape packed on the external part of the matrix. So isolating, putting the matrix, making it seal and then matrix with a good emergence profile this is also very difficult because naturally the matrix has a tendency to go vertical and the emergence profile of the cervical uh, aspect is always a little bit divergent. So I am able to achieve that. And finally, when I will refill that space, that box, that, pro that proximal box with some composite, am I able, yes or no, to refill it like one shot? It means afterwards I would not have to finish with strips and burrs and I don't know what because the problem is once we start to finish I'm not I, I'm not speaking about polishing and final polishing just finishing I got an excess I have to got to cut this excess with the strip we will roughen the surface if we roughen the surface of a material that bacteria adore it's a problem 
because it makes, it creates automatically bacterial retention. So it means that the good dentist is able to isolate, put the matrix, seal the matrix, and diversion profile, a good emergence profile, and just like more or less the one-shot refill of the cavity. If it's the case, it's completely okay and you can use whatever you want. I think that the best material is the best composite that we have. The best composite, meaning in terms of properties, is the restorative composite. Restorative composite, viscous composite, is always better than flowable composites. Flowable composites are more convenient to use. Restorative composites are a little bit more tricky to use. So this is why we can maybe heat them up a little bit to make them less viscous and facilitate a little bit the handling. But Or maybe mix both of them a tiny bit, tiny bit of flow so that we don't have too much polymerization shrinkage and then go with the restorative composite. But I think that if you want to refill two, three millimeters, uh, in a box, in a pro proximal box, doing everything with the single increment of flowable is a bad idea because unfortunately, flowable is not the best composite ever. What, what about HRI? You, you know, HRI composite is very stiff. I had one dentist message me saying that she used a HRI and she really struggled. And she asked me, Jazz, do you think um, I should have used a, a, a slightly softer composite? Uh, and I said, I don't know, but I know someone who knows the answer. So, uh, David, uh, do you think a, a super stiff composite, sometimes the venous maybe is quite stiff, sometimes the HRI is very stiff. Uh, do you think something, even when you heat it, it can be quite stiff? Do you think a, a slightly softer restorative composite might be uh, the way to go? If you can really eat them up uh, usually I eat them up it's like um, uh, 65 degrees for at least 10 minutes before you using them most of them they really became softer and you 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 have well you don't have 10 minutes to handle them and to handle with them it's like 20 seconds or something like that because it, it gets hard again uh, and viscous again very, very quick. So it's like I, I take it out of the compule and I, and I try to put it in the cavity and I have maybe 10 seconds of comfort to apply the composite uh, the best way I can. So it facilitates a little bit my life. But again, you know, I think that the priority is not really the kind of composite. This is the way I can use it. I will give you an example. The injection molding technique of David Clark. Very famous technique, and I say you put floorball and then restorative composite all in once and perfect polymerization, two minutes, no bubbles, no voids. And I say the first time I saw that, I said, this is crazy in terms of shrinkage and everything. It will be a disaster. The problem is that if I am trying to do the alternative technique with very, very small increments and, and, and pushing my increments and polymerizing it, at the end, I have bubbles everywhere. So bubbles is a bigger problem that may be a little bit of retraction. So it means that the, the only way I can achieve a proper refill of a proper filling of the cavity is by injection molding. Injection molding is the best technique. If I can do it with small increments of composite without introducing any voids, this is the best technique. So again, this is about the operator, not really the technique. And I can tell you that some days I'm not a big fan of the injection molding technique. I never do it in like at once for all the cavity. But for some tricky cavities with, with, with a very difficult access, I'm using it. Because I, I, I know that even if I'm losing a little bit in terms of contraction, 
I'm, I will gain on the other side by refilling some very tiny, very sharp zones that I, I cannot reach with the conventional technique. So we just have to adapt and to adapt to the, you know, the dentist of the day, the ability of the day. Brilliant. I love that. Fantastic. I think what we can do now is um, maybe uh, just we share one example of a, of a deep margin elevation. And for those who are listening yeah. to the podcast, I probably have to direct you to uh, the, the YouTube version uh, to see this bit. And then we'll come back and, and, and do our goodbye uh, and how we can learn more from David. Uh, so maybe if you uh, start sharing your screen and show a case. In the meanwhile, I want to ask you a question while you are loading uh, that up. So when you have that deep margin elevation, maybe you will show it in the photos now when you apply the rubber dam where you are very deep initially the rubber dam is not fully seated in that area so you know you can see the gingiva in that area but only when you apply the the matrix can you now get that deep margin acquisition you can acquire that deep margin um, is that generally the way you do it and maybe you'll show me now in the photos i think yes because i i think on that uh example we've got uh, i will i will jump directly to the clinical example and it will be it will be may maybe easier to explain. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, actually the moment, you know, uh, that moment you put the matrix in its position and, and you want to see the matrix that is sealing quite nicely uh, the margin of the preparation and with a, a nice profile and let's check that everything looks okay it's never okay you know because this is a uh, even if you're working with a microscope and something like a 15 uh, times magnification we know that this is not perfect but it's looking uh, sufficient and okay so look at that case, uh, which is kind of difficult one from the initial X-ray. You can immediately see that uh, you will sweat a little bit uh, redoing that one because it's almost bone level. Uh, some ticks and trips here that can be very useful is that uh, just put the rubber dam from scratch. If you take, because the natural tendency is to remove first the filling, the existing filling, and then it looks easier to put the rubber dam in its position because we don't have any proximal contacts anymore. But the fact is that the existing walls of the cavity, the existing proximal walls, even very bad walls done by the existing amalgam will guide the rubber much deeper. So put the rubber dam before removing the old restoration and don't remove the old restoration before putting the matrix in. Because again, that part of the distal amalgam on the six can guide a little bit the matrix band. So at that time, because this is a quite old case, we didn't have a specific matrix band to do the margin elevation. So we were cutting some conventional bands and trying to customize them. I will show you the, the anatomy of, the band, of those bands in a minute. But with some help of the existing wall, which are supra-tangible, we can try to put the matrix down. But this is a problem because we never know what happened. You know, we are pushing with the finger as, as deep as we can, but nobody can tell us at that moment, okay, your matrix has reached the top of the cavity and the mm -hmm. margin of the cavity. So, and, and this, is, this is actually the problem. The kind of bands that uh, uh, we are using mostly, and we will see them also in, in, a, in a moment, is those slick bands of garrison, like banana bands with a great curve. And this is helping to um, uh, get a better seal and a better profile. But what happened is that uh, you put your matrix before removing uh, the, 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 the final part of the existing restoration, and this is, and this is what happened. Maybe 
we we just kind of oh. gum or or, or 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 latex or something that is that just in between. Yeah, yeah, it, it 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 happens every day, you know, and you just want to die at that moment. <laughs> so if we can keep calm for a moment and and hold on, uh, what we can just do at, at, at that time is trying to push out the rubber of the cavity. So the usual tip to do that is not to go with the instrument from the inside to the outside of the cavity, pushing it out is to come from the outside. We have to pull it out from the cavity and it works much better. And at the end, we have something like that. So for that case, as we previously said, it's impossible to place at that level, at that deepness, any kind of wedge. It doesn't work. So it means that this is the tension of the matrix that is doing the sealing, and it's also maybe something that I can place uh, outside of the matrix. Here we can see some Teflon tape that is pushing a little bit, meaning that the ceiling anyway, when it's very, very, very deep, it's not very powerful. If I, if I push very hard right away with the restorative viscous composite, I will open my matrix and, and I will lose the ceiling. So for, for, for that reason, maybe it could be prudent to start with a flowable composite that will not push away the, the, the matrix and then refill the rest of the cavity with the viscous one. So we do the adhesive at that time with the Optibond FL. So this is the layer of Optibond FL and a tiny bit of flowable at the cervical margin just to ensure that the ceiling will not be disrupted. And then we will fill the rest of the cavity with the composite, but we can see very good on, on, the, on that side that the profile is not good. The profile is super vertical. It will not work. So we are trying to do something to push the matrix away and to make it more divergent with kind of instrument polymerizing at the same time. So it's really a fight. It's something that you, you've got your, you, you've done your gym, you know, that day you don't need to go to the gym. It's, it's already done because it's, it's something that's quite difficult. And, and at the end, well, you've got something that should be divergent. So again, the matrix are those. Banana matrix are the best. So uh, the one I'm using the most is the Slick Bands of Garrison. And you've got also another brand. I think it's an American brand uh, called Greater Curve that is also very good. And what happens is that you put uh, the concave part of the matrix towards the cervical margin and the convex part of the matrix towards the occlusal part. And automatically, here you can see on the right uh, with the Toffelmeyer retainer, uh, the matrix will just put uh, itself divergently. So it's, it's very interesting to get that profile and to improve uh, the, the, the marginal ceiling. Because again, we cannot really use wedges to do that. So it takes time. I cannot tell you that it's something easy to do. And at the end, we always, when it was really difficult to control with some x-ray, because it's impossible to see what we've done down there, it looks quite okay. We don't have any idea of the efficiency of the ceiling and the bonding down there, but we can just pray and hope that it will be okay. The profile looks like not a natural profile, but let's say that it's okay. And of course, during the second session, it's really, really easy. It's super easy to isolate. It's super easy to put your inlays. It's preheated composite, which makes also the elimination of the excess pretty easy. And you can see everything and you can check everything 
everything. And, and, and this is really nice. So this is the big advantage of the margin elevation, avoiding surgery. And maybe we can keep the papilla in its initial position, which is very interesting for the comfort of the patient, less invasive, less money also, less expensive. So it's, it's very good for, for the patient anyway. And it facilitates the life of the dentist during the second appointment, especially when it's time to eliminate the excesses. So this is what we have on that one. This is a, a, a pretty old case, but the x-ray is very recent because I just saw that patient uh, with a seven years uh, follow-up. So it looked like it's uh, quite okay. But the question is always, okay, we don't see any recurrent decay. We don't see any bone loss. So we, we can imagine this is a success. Uh, well, this is a, a success Yes, you can see that the papilla is still there. So I think that that patient is living quite okay. But we have some other questions uh, raising up, like what about the distal fissure in, uh, in, in, the six, in, the, in the seven, in the second molar? What about the choice of the material? This is lithium desilicate. And we can see, as always, that the lithium desilicate doesn't wear at all and the natural tooth is wearing down. So what can we do with that? So it's, let's say, a compromise. It's not a full success in my opinion, but it, in terms of margin elevation, this is not so 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 bad, and this is this case. It's just interesting for that reason because when I started with this technique, my two uh, biggest fears were: oh gosh, the patient will never brush, will never eliminate the plaque down there. So it means that we will have plaque retention. So automatically, after a couple of years, as we know that this is not the best dentin to bond on, we will have a recurrent decay. This, we didn't see that. So I, I don't know why, honestly, maybe because we don't have the proper bacteria to make carriers uh, down there in the sulcus. I have no idea. But maybe it's the gingival cravicular fluid helping us. You, you, we don't know. Uh, but, you know, this is one theory I've read as well. Exactly. Exactly. Could be. And, and, and my, my, my second problem with, well, this is a clear violation of the biological width. Because we don't have those two millimeters of uh, collagen and connective tissue and etc. It disappears completely. So what about putting a material almost bone level? We will lose bone and we don't lose bone. Uh, so I'm not a perio guy, so I don't have a, a, a clear scientific explanation neither. I can just tell about experience that those problems we don't have. But all the other problems struggling with the emergence profile with everything we have <laughs> so this is uh, maybe uh, one of the most uh, uh, difficult uh, technique i know actually so again i i think that it it should be done only when you feel that the patient can um, ensure a proper cleaning and that the dentist is in a good day if if we have those both things this is a very, very nice technique, but it looks great. It looks easy, it, but it's not, it's not. And it's not because you've, you've done 500s of those that it becomes easy. 
I can tell you that most probably the one I will have to do tomorrow morning will be super tough and I will sweat like crazy doing it. it this, is, this is why I get so many questions sent in to, to bring on a guest like yourself, even though we've covered DME a little bit, not, not in much, as much detail as we went through today, but this is a big pain for dentists because there are so many nuances, struggles. Like sometimes if I remove the papilla and, I, and you taught me something today, I might, I might not remove the papilla next time because I see what you mean about the papilla supporting your matrix band. I, I agree with you and I will try that because usually what I'm doing is one thumb I'm keeping really tightly on that matrix as yes. I'm trying to hold that seal so you're right there's the, the gym workout for the day is done and and David you've done this episode so much justice I knew you would bring so much value and you certainly have you've covered all my questions and you are a phenomenal guest I know that this episode will explode uh, on, on, on YouTube and tubules <laughs> uh, on, on the, the the listeners who listen on, on you know while they chop onions while they're gardening while they're driving that kind of stuff David where can we learn more from you uh, where if someone wants to follow you on social media or, or learn more from you and they like like I do enjoy your teaching style where can we find out more from you my friend uh, well I, I used to have a website that was up to date before COVID <laughs> with the list of courses and everything so I hope that in a couple of months I can I could set up everything because I had to change it almost every day because everything is cancelled and postponed and blah 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 so you, you can go on the uh, uh, www.davidjardel.com and you've got all the details about the courses but let's say that we are trying on Instagram and Facebook to publish regularly news about the courses and what we can do and I'm working also with some uh, universities especially in France and in Spain so we've got some educational program in French and in Spanish uh, in Paris in Madrid uh, especially so if some of the people unfortunately not in the UK but I would like to come in the UK to start some educational program too. I've got no problem. You know, traditionally, the Brits are the, the, the forever enemy of the French, but I'm out of that. <laughs> I, I've got no problem with the Brits. So <laughs> please welcome me as I welcome you. No, no problem. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you're very welcome in the UK. Every time you come to the UK, uh, and I'm, I've been you know so great that I caught you all those years ago, eight years ago, and you really opened my eyes to, to bonding. So thank you so much for having that influence in my career. And I know you've really touched a lot of dentists uh, in this episode. Uh, I'll put all your links and stuff on my website when I um, launch this episode. Uh, David, Thank you so much for adding so much value. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. So that's it. That's the episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that with Davija Dole. So if anything, just remember, clean and rough. If you want to do some good bonding, make sure it's clean, make sure it's rough. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Honestly, David is just inspirational. I love seeing his work. And there's a really cool handout I've made for you uh, showing you all the steps of deep margin elevation. I've put it on uh, Instagram. So if you just direct message me on at Protrusive Dental, we'll send you the PDF file. I'll also add it on our Telegram group, uh, which you can find uh, on the website. I've also, oh gosh, I can't believe I forgot to tell you this. Every single Protrusive Dental Pearl up till episode 75 is now on the website. So like, there'll be like a banner at the top saying Protrusive Pearls. Click on that. You can download every single Protrusive Dental Pearl beforehand. Hope you enjoyed that gem-packed episode and I'll catch you in the next one, guys. Yeah.